This is Slipstream F1 Podcast. I'm Nathan with Brandon, Ian, and Steven again this week. All four of us are here today, and we're going to be talking about the news of the week, the Jetta debacle with the missile strike, and then a race preview. So first, let's go ahead and talk about Red Bull and the obvious issues that they've had with the Red Bull powertrains at Bahrain. There's been some news that has come out about what those issues are. Ian or Steven? Go for it, Steven. Yeah, so shortly after the race, unfortunately, like 30 minutes after we recorded our race review podcast, Red Bull released basically saying it was a fuel pump issue. And then as the week's gone on, we've gotten a little more insight into that. During testing, they didn't do any low fuel runs. And so the E10 fuel behaves slightly differently than the fuel they've used in the past, which the way that it interacted with the fuel pump was not how they expected, and it made the engine go kaput. I think there were quite a few memes on it, obviously, as if you uh, follow F1, any sort of uh, social media that involves F1. My favorite one was that, because Red Bull powertrains used to be made by Honda, but then Honda just mm-hmm. gifted them the engine and was like, here, you can put your name on it, and we don't want to be involved with it anymore. I don't think there was any bad blood. I think Honda was just tired of losing money on the deal. Yeah, that's what it was. The uh, the big corporate bosses, they looked at the numbers and they said, no, this doesn't make sense for our bottom line anymore. The advertising we get out of it doesn't you know, break even for us, especially after the McHonda days. Um, and then they win a world championship their last year as Honda powertrains. But, yeah. Yeah, so it's the same engine. Um, a lot of the same people, at least with the Red Bull side working on it. Um, the joke was, though, that Honda, being a Japanese company, left instructions that were only in Japanese. <laughs> well, Honda's sister team, AlphaTauri, who also technically has a Red Bull powertrain engine, um, has a Japanese driver. And his car was the only car that was running this weekend. Because he's the only one who could read because the manual. Because he's the only one that could read the manual. But, no, nah, I mean, it, you got to be a little easy on him. One, it's the first race. Um, and a new regulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of things are going to happen. It's it's not just – it's the same engine for the most part, right? But what it also is, it's a different fuel entirely, right? And we've talked about the switch to E10, and you mentioned that. And that, that has a huge change. Um, corn gas. Corn. Corn. Good old Iowa, Iowa corn. Yeah, do you think that, out of the like, East. where do you think most of the corn for the Formula One fuel is grown? That's a great question. The I wonder if, it's like, the, it's the Middle East. Really? They get everything from the Middle East. Their money. They do get a lot of money from the Middle East, but I know <laughs> most of, at least, in the United States, we do produce ethanol that we ship out of the United States. That. Completely unrelated to ethanol. No, I'm not going to go on a tangent. Well, I was just thinking, and we didn't even talk about this when we were getting our podcast schedule set up. There's a race coming to Vegas. There is, yeah. Next year. And guess where we grow our corn? Out west. Yeah, mi- Midwest. Midwest. Yeah, yeah, Midwest. Which is surprisingly more east than west in terms of continental U.S. It was called the Midwest back when it was the west. And then they, they switched it to the Midwest when there was more West that just appeared. And that's There's some insight the for our three international listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the one person in Belgium and the two people in the UK who, according to our analytics, listen to this. Now You, you know. are valued. You are, you're welcome. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Yes. Share with your friends. Um, but, yeah. Um, I mean, the corn, it's just it's hard to imagine because 
it's kind of funny what they're able to do now with technology. They can grow anything anywhere if they really, really want to. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's why I believe, honestly, this ethanol is probably coming from the Middle East because that's where they get everything from. It's concerning how much F1 is sponsored by Middle Eastern companies. Aramco. We'll talk about them later. But, um, but yeah, um, but I think Red Bulls, they're going to get under control. Like I said, it's they've had this engine under their complete control for the last three months um, where Honda's been making engines yeah. since World War II, um, kind of, sort of. I don't even know when Honda's been around. But they've been making engines a lot longer than Red Bull has. And so I think it just they just need a little time, a little experience. They're pretty confident they've got it fixed. I think that had they done a full fuel run or a race simulation, they would have come across the issue and they would have been, oh, this is a problem, let's fix it. Um, unfortunately, they're so worried about people seeing what their true performance was that they lost out on you know, probably well over 20 points mm -hmm. just because of their unwillingness to do what's actually useful for them. Yeah, I don't think it's a big issue. I think they'll... We'll see them figure it out the next race, possibly maybe one more race, but I don't think we're going to have two DNFs anymore from Red Bull. But uh, Alpha Tower did have a little bit of a different mm -hmm. failure. They had a MGUK or yeah, MGUK failure, which is like the, uh, the electrical generation unit for the F1 cars that overheated, and uh, that's what caused Pierre Gasly's fire. Yeah, and that that is good that it's a different thing. It's not all of them having the same exact issue. Um you know, if it were all of them had MGUK failures, I'd be very concerned for the that engine for the whole year. But since the Red Bulls appear to be fuel fuel cavitation, is that what that's called, Brandon? Something like that? Yeah, it's cavitation in the pumps, the fuel pumps, which basically just destroys the pump. So that's what happened to Red Bull. Yeah, and that's where, like, air gets in there, kind of, or yeah, something little, like Yeah, little air bubbles get in the pump. Yeah. And when there's – basically when it goes to vacuum, from vacuum to under pressure, that gap closes really fast, and it – takes chips out of the metal in the pump. And when you have chips out of the metal in your pump, that's not a good thing. No, it is not. I wouldn't want metal floating in my fuel pump in the truck. No, I don't think that would be a good thing. I don't thing. think that'd be good. <laughs> that's a good insight. Valuable insight. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that, Ian. Of course, of course. Okay, now on to our next topic, which is McLaren um, and their dismal performance at Bahrain. We talked about this a little bit on the podcast and how we were so concerned. A lot of us predicted it in our preseason predictions, and we were pretty spot on, it appears. Um, maybe not to the level at which they're terrible. But we found out this week that the reason they're bad is because of the reason that a lot of people thought they were going to be good. Right, they weren't porpoising in preseason testing, and everyone's like, "Oh, they've just figured out the solution for it. They're going to be rocket quick. Like they're going to be so quick." It turns out the reason they're not porpoising is because they just don't have enough downforce to cause porpoising to happen. Yeah, it's concerning how low the downforce is. Um, Lando has talked about it more than Danny, uh, but they seem a little happier um, at Jetta this week. I know watching FP two, Lando looked a little better. Mm -hmm. He was, I think, 7th or 8th out there. I think there. he was P7. Yeah, he was P7. And so he looked better. Um, and Danny was P14, which, I mean, that's not brilliant, but better than P18. Um, and so, yeah, so I think if they can get that downforce issue sorted with, which I think a lot of these teams, any problems they're having, whether it be with porpoising like Mercedes or just no downforce like McLaren, they'll probably start getting it fixed once they start their European campaign of races. Mm -hmm. Um They'll go from there, but for right now, it's just 
It's gonna be kind of have to live with it. It's really unfortunate for Danny too, because going to Australia, really hoping you would have a good car to maybe challenge for a win at his home race for the first time. Um, but it's just not looking it's good for McLaren. Gonna yeah, it's no, just, not it's at not all. Gonna happen. Um, I mean, I watched FP2 in full, um, mm-hmm. not in class. I promise, Mom. <laughs> I watched FP2. I also was not in class. Absolutely, I was absolutely not in class. Um, but no, I watched FP2, and I mean. Lando literally turned the wheel on his car, and the car just didn't move. Yeah. There's zero downforce on that I car. I think it'll also be – they'll be better at a track like Jetta because it suits them a little bit better without – like, because Bahrain's kind of a low-speed track. It has a lot of low-speed corners, um, whereas Jetta's, like, all really quick-speed corners, basically. All the corners that they say are on the track when, like, you know, they're barely even corners. Um, and then a few, like, medium speed, and that's it. So I think I think it could work a little bit more to their favor, maybe not enough to be one of the better cars there, but hopefully they won't be the worst car um, this week. Yeah, because I know some teams like Haas didn't look brilliant. I think a midfield team like that, they're just gonna they're gonna struggle. Um, some tracks are gonna be good. Some tracks are not gonna be so good. It's just something that fits their fits their uh, thing better, which. Haas was having trouble anyways with their power unit today. Um, yeah. But for right now. Mick's car looked all right. He was able to get a good number of laps in. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about uh, the free practices once we move on to Jetta. But I, I did see Andreas Seidel today, or another this week, he said that the McLaren drivers deserve a better car. And they do. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting, though, that the team boss is saying that, and, you know, he's kind of the one in charge of making sure they have a good car. Um, so, I, you know. Yeah, Andreas, I just kind of forgotten about, which is funny, too, because everyone thinks that Zach Brown is their team boss, but they're not. I mean, he's not. He's not. He's, Andreas is. he's the CEO. He's Andreas's boss. Yes. He's, he's the boss like boss. the Lawrence Stroll <laughs> of McLaren, kind of. Daddy's cash. Daddy Stroll. Papa Stroll. Also with Papa Stroll, speaking of, I heard that he went on a very large, like, angry tirade after the race, like, with the entire team um, in Bahrain because they were just absolutely nowhere. And he basically, like, pulled everyone together and was, like, yelling at them for, like, half an hour about how it was just unacceptable. Well, when you have one not a good car, two a pay driver, and three a driver that hasn't driven full time in Formula One since 2019, I'm not sure what he's expecting. Yeah, and <laughs> another thing is too, like to an extent, he also has to take ownership of this because a lot of the reason that uh, what's his name, who just left and went to Alpine. Oh, Otmar. Otmar. Yeah, a lot of the reason Otmar left um, is because of the micromanaging that Lawrence did himself. Like he wanted to be involved. There's been a lot of credible reports that he was sitting in on technical meetings all throughout the production of this car and the design of this car, um, which, you know, maybe sitting in on a meeting here or there to kind of get an idea of where they are or, you know, have them present to you is one thing, but to regularly be in the technical meetings, giving your input as someone who's not an engineer doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, yeah, micromanaging, he's used to, I think he's used to micromanaging, like, mm-hmm. his businesses, which he's good at, but when you're trying to micromanage engineering a F1 car, it doesn't work all that well when you don't know anything about engineering. It's yeah. a very specified field, and someone who, even if they're in at all a related field, it's not going to be a one-to-one comparison, mm-hmm. and so you're really wasting 
the time and money which you yourself are spending. So, like you said, the willingness to take ownership. I think that we've seen some reports that suggest that Austin Martin is going to roll out an entirely new car here in the next month and a half. It'll be interesting to see whether or not that's true. In the meantime, I would not expect to see a dramatic improvement of their car. They made a couple of changes. They noticed <laughs> they changed their front and rear wing, and in order to make them lighter, they're just not painted. So it's just a black carbon fiber finish because they felt like the paint was adding too much weight. That 40, 40 grams of paint. Is hey, it worked much. for Haas. They got rid of the Earl Cali stickers, and you saw how it worked for them last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, fair. Fair point. Yeah, I mean, it all adds up. Every ounce, every gram, European listeners, all three of you. We have three of you, and we want to make sure that we don't alienate Recruit you. a friend. We'd love to have four. Or five. Or five. Hey, if all of you European listeners recruit a friend, we'll have six European listeners. Six. Wow. Buxton. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's more on Drive to Survive and not him. Oh, it definitely is. It's a lot of the way... I mean, he does do his interviews differently for Drive to Survive than he tweets things out, but he is a little bit of a sensationalist-type reporter. Sensational. Sensational. That's a big word that I don't know. Four syllables. Just like Austin Martin. Anyway, the team of, we were talking about. Speaking of, you know, Austin Martin bringing in a brand new car, Mercedes has said, or it's, it's very strongly rumored, that they're going to bring really strong upgrades to Imola, the first of the European races, um, which... According to some re reports, there's suggestions that that could fix their porpoising problems. Yeah, I think that I briefly talked about this during one of our previous podcasts of porpoising is an aerodynamic issue and any mechanical solution you provide to it is a band-aid. So the stuff they've been doing of raising the car, stiffening the suspension, it's all just a band-aid fix. Mm -hmm. And so especially at a, ta at a track like Jetta where it's, a little bit smoother it may seem like they've made some improvements and they probably have but i wouldn't expect to see them consistently competing for poles and race wins until they make that aerodynamic change yeah i was watching jetta and i mean i don't know if it looks better because i there was an onboard and, and a shot of lewis's head and it was just bouncing around like bobblehead no it looked like a bobblehead it was insane and jetta is one of the smoothest tracks on the calendar i mean Many sections of it were paved just a couple weeks before they raced there in December last year. So it is four months old at the oldest um, in a lot of parts. And so it is it is a very, very smooth surface. And, and there shouldn't be a reason for them to be bouncing outside of the porpoising. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not the track, I don't think. I don't think it's the track. It's just Mercedes aero design. Yeah. And, and it's pretty clear that it's it's causing them issues with lap time and and even in, in ways that you wouldn't think where it's simply just oh they don't have the grip because they're bouncing too much and their downforce is inconsistent it's also where like their head is shaking so much they can't quite tell where which you know braking sign that is in the braking zone is that the 150 meter or is that the 100 meter you know and so it's that kind of thing where they have to slow up just a little bit so they can see it a little bit better where they just lose you know a tenth here and there and it just adds up over the course of a race yeah and i can talk about it during the race preview when we're talking more about the Jetta track, but it um, it's a track of no error. I mean, Charles and FP2 barely tapped the wall and his suspension cracked. Yeah. And so, um, and its tire started to overheat. So it's one little mistake and 
it's game over. Yeah, well, I think that wraps up our news roundup. Aside from Sebastian Sebastian Vettel. Vettel. Not here this weekend. Which, you know, it's because he's still testing positive for COVID or hasn't cleared a negative test. Or he saw how bad that car is and just made it up so they didn't have to drive it. (laughs) You know, he, he was one of the people who was pretty outspoken against the Jetta race last year. There's a chance he is just sitting in the same at-home COVID test again, you know, saying, yeah, guys, I'm still still positive, can't come race, knowing, A, the car's terrible, but B, knowing he doesn't want to go to Saudi Arabia. You know, so he gets to sw- sit in Switzerland while the rest of the paddock is at risk of being bombed. Yeah, all of these things are interconnected. The human rights abuses in Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, the rebel attack on the nearby oil refinery, it's all, it's all somewhat interconnected, but it does segue us as nicely as something as sad and serious as that can. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was telling Stephen before we started setting up for today that I think Seb is our modern-day Ayrton Senna. Like, if he was there, like it's kind of those one if, what-if situations. If Seb was there and what happened today happened, which we'll discuss in a minute, they wouldn't be racing. I, I Yeah, because I, I could see the driver's boycotting if there's another strike after the first strike i think seb would have said i'm not racing and it would have started the rest of them to go in line it's going to take that first one i don't know who it will be um i know it won't be max verstappen and there's a chance max verstappen is the only one racing but yeah they gotta have at least i think eight cars on the field so if (laughs) if they instituted that regulation because of the time that only six cars were able to race in in indianapolis yeah, it was a tire thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, if you have not seen the reports, if you're not a F1 obsessed fangirl like we are, um, today during free practice one, there was a fire reported near the track, about seven miles away. About seven miles away, you could see smoke. Um, from Max Verstappen smelled it. Yeah, he said, "I smell burning towards the end of FP1, thinking mm. it was his car, but." It was very much just an oil refinery. Yeah. Um, no one really knew what happened. They had a meeting with the drivers that actually delayed free practice, too, by about 15 minutes. Um, and then finally, Formula One announced that there had been a missile strike by rebels from Yemen, nearby Yemen. Um, who who and rebels? Had sent, I believe they said 12 ballistic missiles, mm-hmm. all of which were intercepted except one. The one hit a oil refinery. Yeah. That was the seven miles from the track. Um but the drivers agreed that it was they uh, sounded like the drivers agreed that, that it was okay. I'm sure there were some that were uneasy. Yeah, um, Helmut Marco on uh, Sky Germany. He said that um, Max is totally fine racing, but Checo I- is quite nervous, which makes sense. Max or Checo has two children and a th- three children now. Has the third one been born yet? Um, I believe there's a fourth one on the way. Oh, a fourth one on the way. Yeah, it was after his win in Azerbaijan when his wife announced that she was pregnant again. Hmm. What a week. Wow. What a week. What a week. Um, but no, I, you know, it makes sense. And then and then Helmet just said the most boneheaded thing of all time. He said, I think it's probably as dangerous as Mexico City, so I don't know why Checo is, is scared here. <laughs> Helmet That's Martin. incredibly <laughs> ignorant. Isn't that so dumb? I didn't know he said that. Yeah, yeah that's pretty dumb. <laughs> yeah. I can't stand Helmet Marco. He's he's the guy who said we should just get all the drivers to get COVID so we can just race the whole season. Back in early 2020, that was his suggestion. That rock that flew in his helmet when he was driving Formula One must have hit him pretty hard. Real hard. <laughs> <laughs> huh. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, All right, let's move on from this. Yeah, explosion. It happened. It's yeah. unfortunate, but it doesn't seem like anything's going to be done. It's, um, it's also not terribly surprising because when Formula E was there last year before F1 was, there was a missile that exploded because it was intercepted, and it was like pretty much right over the track that they were racing on for Formula E, and it was just very concerning that something like that could happen with Formula 1, and if, if something's not intercepted, it could be very, very bad. It is worth noting that as of now, the reports are there are no casualties, no injuries, no deaths, so that um, that is good news. But moving on to actual race elements, yeah. because as of right now, the race will go as planned. Yeah, so we've had free practice one and two. Um, I think the Ferraris look really strong. They've topped the timetable, so has Max Verstappen. Um, at different times, they've kind of switched back and forth who's fastest. Um, yeah, any thoughts about free practice one I mean, or I two? I think we're going to have a similar thing to last week, just from based on the practices, like Leclerc first, uh, Verstappen second, Sainz third, and Perez fourth, and we'll see them battling throughout the race. And then... Uh, Hamilton and Russell are kind of right behind them, not mm -hmm. quite as quick, and then everyone else, we'll have to see what happens with that. I don't think we'll see a repeat performance from Haas for a couple mm -hmm. of reasons. Um, I just think Magnussen has like 16 and a half laps of experience at this track. He did not race last year, which was the first race that Jetta had been on the Formula One schedule. So he's not raced it. He had equipment issues through both free practices, so he just doesn't have experience on the track and Mick didn't exactly look like he was in the forum to crack that top 10 initially obviously that can change with a chaotic track like Jetta but I wouldn't necessarily expect the P5 again from Haas this week yeah I think Alfa Romeo looks uh they look pretty yeah. good this week um same as last week not I mean they're not going to be I think fighting Charles for a win, but I think they'll still be in a pretty good point standing. Um, Mick, I was thinking just now, he crashed last year. He had a pretty good smack against the wall during this race last year. He did. His confidence for this track might not be the highest. Yeah. Um, yeah, his, his crash is what caused the chaos to ensue. Yeah, it was a very boring race until his crash. Until his crash, and then everything started happening from there and continued in Abu Dhabi. Of <laughs> yeah. Just pure chaos from the marshals, the stew, you know, everyone in between. And so, or not the marshals, the marshals didn't do anything. They just clean up the crash. Um, the stewards, I mean. They do their work and they do it well. They do their work and they we do it We are very well. grateful for the marshals at uh, all F1 tracks. So, yeah, so um, I just think that I think Alfa Romeo. Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari will Mercedes well Red Bull up till the not last ten laps of the race. Um, <laughs> I think they're they're gonna do what they did last week, um, yeah. pretty consistent. Um, and then beyond that, I think McLaren's shown a little bit of improvement. Williams is looking worse. Aston Martin looks about the same. Um, and yeah, so I think it's just yeah. Valtteri looked good. Um, it also helps Alfa Romeo that both of their drivers, including their rookie driver, has driven here before. He drove here in F2 last year. Um, Kevin Magnussen hasn't driven here. Nico Hulkenberg has never driven here. Nico did go back to England to the simulator this week to get laps in. Um, Poor guy. To figure out, just get an understanding of the track, which is good. He has some familiarity with it. Talk about jet lag. Gosh but almighty. if anything that Mick was able to, or not Mick, uh, K-Mag was able to do, it would be just like, laps on iRacing and that's that's his experience with the track 
F1 mobile. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't F1 even manager. get to drive it. He just gets to pretend like... Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I do think, like, Mercedes, they cut a good chunk out of their rear wing and, you know, did reduce the downforce. So maybe that will help their porpoising. I can't tell. It doesn't quite look to me watching FP2 that it really did or FP1. Um, yeah, we're just going to have to see. It's one of those things where we don't really know until it all pans out. I think we're starting to see an order a little bit more clearly, and we'll we'll know the order through the first three, four races. But once we get to uh, once we get to Imola and people bring upgrades, things could change really, really quickly. Yeah, uh, there's something that really excites me is to see how the gap between Leclerc and Sainz is after this race. Yeah. Because Leclerc outperformed Sainz in pretty much every element of the first Grand Prix. And Sainz was obviously bothered by that. And he was able to close the gap during the qualifying, like, quick stint runs. And then his race pace was also a little bit off. So he's obviously going to look at both of those. So I'm really interested to see how he closes that gap. Yeah, he said this week, and this could just be part of the posturing with with a Ferrari drive is he said that the engineers had some quote like interesting or unusual suggestions for him to like close the gap um you know and that could just be him setting up the I'm being treated unfairly kind of idea later down the road if that's something that he wants to or feels like he needs to do yeah I know he did say he felt uncomfortable just he doesn't feel quite as comfortable that he knows Charles feels um but he is also quite close to a contract extension, apparently. <coughs> Mattia um, yeah. said that that could be done within the next couple weeks, um, which is good for him. I mean, hoorah Ferrari, but, you know, I don't think if he was felt like he was getting treated unfairly at this point, I think it would be hard for him to want to sign a contract extension. I think part of it is just the mental navigation of realizing that you are – at this point in time, slower than your teammate in equal machinery. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to reconcile that in your head, it can be easy to jump to conclusions because you have preset assumptions about your own abilities. And yeah. when those those assumptions are challenged by the data, it's easy to cling on to anything that could explain it. And so I think that if he closes that gap, then it won't be something. But if the gap remains or for some reason it grows then yeah like Ian said maybe you start to see that you start to see that dialogue change um I learned about that in psychology this week (laughs) we learned that success people will start saying well I'm the reason I'm successful but if they fail they start saying well other people are the reason I failed Mm -hmm. boom <laughs> That's all. That's all. Lando blaming his poor performance on grip and downforce. <laughs> no, it's really just Lando's washed. Yeah, he's washed. Lewis Hamilton. It's he'd not been, the team. He spent it's so much time on Twitch. Fault. It's not porpoising. Are you kidding? He's me? jumping in the car. We all know it. Yeah, they put a <laughs> bunch of springs in the tires. He's just bouncing the whole way down the road. They got music playing. He's just bopping. He's just headbanging the whole he's way. He's got Russian hard bass. <laughs> <laughs> a Daniel Kvyat edit. <laughs> That's where Ferrari is 10 pounds lighter is because they've got a giant sub in the back of the Mercedes and the <laughs> Red Bull. They're just grooving. 
Anyways. They have that same suspension that those like cars have that bounce up and down in parades. That that's what they've put on the first. Or like Ramon in the hit movie Cars. Ramon in the hit cars. Yeah, they have that suspension in the Mercedes. They took some hints. It just oscillates up and down. <laughs> From the absolute swagger that that man carries around everywhere in Radiator Springs. Radiator Springs is a place I would want to go. I would live in Radiator Springs. Radiator Springs Grand Prix. A happy place. They had that at the end of Cars 2. The Radiator Springs Grand Prix. Legendary. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. That fun cars to the dirt track. Oh, yeah. That, that, that would, would be fun. Max would win. That would be cool. They've done that before with Red Bull. Actually, Kimmy would have won, but... Anyway, <laughs> on to a more productive topic. Let's talk a little bit about um, the the Jetta track itself and how it's set up, what it's like, um, what, what happened in the race last year to give people an idea of of kind of the chaos that can go down. It's fast. That's a whole separate episode if we're going to talk about what happened last year. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll brief overview. But the, the track is, quote-unquote, a street circuit. It's fast. It's not a street circuit because none of the roads it's built on were there before this, and so they didn't just build it on city streets. They said, hmm, let's make new streets and call it a street circuit. They built the streets for the circuit, not the circuits for the streets. Exactly. And... I like it. it I, I, I would call it a street-style circuit, you know, where it has the the barriers that are up super close with the catch fences all the way around the track. Um, it's very fun to watch onboards of. They look blazingly fast. Um, you know, it, it, it looks kind of like a bobby pin, the, the layout of it. In a way. It looks a little bit like a, a spoon that someone stepped on. I've seen that meme making the rounds, and I said, ah, that is funny. It's... A lot of corners, they call them all corners, but a lot of them are just gentle curves that go along the straight, and so they stay in eighth gear with their foot all the way to the floor the whole time, and so it functions as a straight and not as six curves like they call it. Yeah, that's what Kimi Raikkonen said last year. Was He was like, I'm not even going to worry about learning the track because I'm just, he's like, it's all fa- fast speed corners. He's like, I'll just react. Yeah. <laughs> you just look at what's in front of you. <laughs> yeah. You don't have much time to think about what, what's the best line through this one when it's literally just a little bit of adjustment back and forth. Most amount of turns, though, in one breaks. It is. Per year. It's like 27 corners. I think it's 27. Good grief. A lot of corners. And so, yeah, yeah I don't blame Kimmy. <laughs> no, I, I don't blame him at all. It, it's a lot to learn. It's a lot to remember. Um and I feel like so many sections of the track look the same. And so I'll just be sitting there watching inboards. I think they're on the last part of the lap, basically, before that final turn. Um, and they're not. They're, like, barely started their lap. It just all looks the same to me. Um, but, yeah, they've widened the track in a few areas. Some areas they've pushed the barriers back to provide better vision because a lot of the corners are very blind corners, um, even though th- – but they're taking them at, you know, 200 miles an hour. So they've widened it by – a meter and a half to two meters in places to give better vision. I think I saw some report of them potentially testing out some like video screens to increase visibility around some of those tight corners, which I don't know how that's going to work. I that would be insane. It's so like, like those like rounded mirrors that occasionally you'll see like yeah. people put up in their driveway so or a, like a blind spot corner. Okay. I don't. I could be wrong, but I did. I at least read the headline of an article. I was talking about that. I think give them heads-up displays and let them see the position of every so driver cool. on track. You could have, like, x-ray vision, but That'd it's just awesome. not actually x-ray vision. It's just incredible use of 
informatics and technology. Yeah. Lots of computing. Yeah. Well, the blindness isn't an issue when you're racing, really. Uh, until someone until someone crashes in front of you, but it's fine until then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the it's an issue during like qualifying and practice yeah. when someone's going slow. You know, they're not going on a fast lap, but you are, and all of a sudden, like, hey, you got two seconds to get out of the way. Otherwise, you're about to have a very, very bad day. Yeah, cars turn into one car. The reverse osmosis of an F1 car. <laughs> that would be very bad. Turns into I mean, a two-seater. It, it happens also at... Turns into a two-seater. Yeah, it's okay. Golly, it happened also at Baku. It happens a lot there because that's also very tight corners, especially in that like middle sector where it's a bunch of 90-degree turns. You saw back when Brendan Hartley was in Toro Rosso, um, Pierre Gasly came around a corner, and Brendan was not on one side or the other. He was in the middle of the road, and... Pierre nearly hit him going 160 miles an hour. To be fair, that wasn't Brandon's fault. He had a puncture. Yes, but his engineers also weren't telling him, you know, to get to the side of the road. Yeah, it's also harder on street circuits to have depth perception. You can't yeah. tell if that driver's going fast or slow, so they kind of just want to assume they're going fast. And then they're like, oh, snap, that car's getting close really quickly. Yeah. They got to get out of the way. I was wondering why the baseball was getting bigger. Then it hit me. Exactly. Except a sorry, car. that was terrible. And that's what you you don't I'm want sorry. that for a car. Like last year, you saw Mazepin run into the back of Hamilton, not Hamilton, George Russell, which one of the few accidents that wasn't Mazepin's fault that year. Um, it was just an unfortunate set of events and ahead of him that caused like four retirements at once. It it can cause pure chaos. You look at F two. Remember that F two feature race, the crash that happened in that last year with. Got to narrow it down. They were like 10. Yeah, well, at the start, the start of the race um, with Fittipaldi, where he basically like ran into the back of somebody else because yeah, that person stalled. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Fittipaldi ran into the back of, was it Tio? Porsche. Porsche. Um, yeah, and because Tio stalled. Who's Tio's also had a terrible weekend. Like His engine blew up this weekend, and he crashed in the practice and all that, so he's having a rough start to F2. But... It's just so tight all throughout the track that any sort of mistake can really, really cause issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, Enzo was knocked unconscious. He was in the hospital in a medically induced coma for a day. Yeah. He was in pretty rough shape. I mean, obviously he's fine now and he's racing again, but yeah, for that one wreck, it was pretty bad. It's a, it's an interesting track. I can just go on a rant about just how I think that it's dangerous. Um, Why is that? There's no rant for us, Ian. Hmm? Rant for us, Ian. Yeah, it's just, it's a narrow circuit. The fast-moving nature of it is great, but it's not meant for a street circuit. Street circuits are meant to be slower. Azerbaijan, Baku, the one fast portion of it is much larger than any other section of the track because yeah. you need space when you have speed. If you got to get out of the way or if you need to slam on the brakes or whatever you need to do, you need space. Yeah. And they don't have that in Jetta. And it... About, I mean, I don't want to say it almost killed Fittipaldi because I really don't think it did. I think mm. they just put him in a coma real quick so they could do some operations on him. Yeah. But it's dangerous. A lot. I mean, three wrecks happened last year, two of which caused red flags. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's amazing that they saw the narrowness of the circuit and were like, hmm, this is a good idea. Because narrowness isn't a bad thing when the circuit, when the circuit isn't a fast circuit. Right, narrowness can be fun. It can make things really interesting. You look at Singapore, right? 
Singapore is very narrow in a lot of places, but it's not as fast, and it's it's very very cool track. But this is just so fast with the narrowness, and and the other thing, it's if it were narrow and completely straight, that's one thing, right where you can see. But around what's basically the back straight, it's just curves where y- it's enough curve where you can't see around it into the next curve, but it's not enough curve where you have to lift at all. And so they're just going flat out through this entire area, this entire section unable to see what's 150 meters ahead of them. And at that speed, they, they do that amount there of There is no reaction time, no, which they, saves you. They get that distance in like a second, right? That's, that's the amount of time it takes to cross that distance and close that gap, and that's just really, really dangerous. Even if you have time to react, your car won't slow down in time. Yeah. It's a no-win scenario. And, I mean, that's, that's the issue. I mean, we saw at the Baku Strait last year. Even though it is very straight and it is very wide, it still is very dangerous. You think of Lance Stroll, his wreck, and you had Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda go by him at 300 miles an hour. Not 300 miles, 300 kilometers an hour, right? Or like... Slightly fast. Yeah, just, (laughs) you know. Well, no, yeah, then Max has crashed. Yeah, and like, it's concerning because when they hit the wall, they both bounced out and like spun a little bit more before they went back. If there had been another car behind them, even close at all, you have an Antoine Hubert situation very quickly. Yeah, that's the most dangerous thing is when they, they hit a wall and then you've got other cars that come and hit them after. Because not only do you have partially, it's possible that the crumple zone of the car that hit the wall is gone. Yeah. And you've got another car coming at 200 miles per hour. It's not a good situation. Yeah, you'd rather hit a wall at 200 miles an hour because that wall doesn't have pokey bits that can poke into you. than you would have another car like hit the side of you at 200 miles an hour. Yeah, and I know they try to compromise it, so if you do tap the wall, your race isn't over, you just brush it and move on. And yeah. I get that, but then there's also situations where you have a crap driver like Mazepin who almost tries to kill his teammate last year by squeezing him into the wall. Yeah, that and was not good. So, um, and you, I mean, if you can make Mick Schumacher cuss on the radio, you are You must be a pretty bad driver. You're, you're not good at things. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just... Like I said, I know they try not, you know, they could put the foam in where if you tap the wall, you know, you land into the, you know, you kind of like morph into the wall. Um, but again, they don't like what Leclerc did, they hit in the wall. Science hit it actually right before Leclerc did. Yeah. Um, and he didn't have to stop the car. He didn't have to, you know, didn't destroy your suspension and everything. He just kept going because sometimes brushes happen. But at it the same time, yeah, and Antoine Hubert, which again, new listeners, was a 2019 F2 driver who hit a wall, completely wrecked his right side of the, no, left side of the car. He spun, hit the left side of his car, and then flung himself back onto near the track where a driver was trying to evade another spinning car, and he got hit what was in a, because the cars are meant to fall apart, basically. Yeah. They're meant for safety to fall apart. Well, that part had already fallen apart. When another car hit him going 170 miles an hour, it Nearly killed him on impact, but it didn't. He um he died in the hospital, but no, it did it. He what he was pronounced dead at the hospital. They never pronounced drivers dead at the track, um, so you know that's just kind of a rule in motorsport. But he was completely unconscious when they got to the car, and like he was for all intents and purposes like dead at on impact. So absolutely brutal. And so yeah, I mean yeah. that can happen anywhere in a street circuit. That these fast, cor- I mean these corners have almost no runoff in a, lar- in a large majority. I mean, you'll see one every now and again that does, but it's not enough to really protect against anything. Um, and in, um, a simple mistake is punished severely. Yeah, it's like you've seen in Sochi, right, where Carlos Sainz in 2015 or 2016, his brakes just basically exploded, 
and he couldn't stop. And so he ran off after those straight into that runoff area at turn two or turn one. I don't remember. And he just hit that wall and it was like a 50 almost G impact, like 47 G's. And, you know, that is in a place that has a large runoff area. Here, we're like at the end of the straight where there's not much runoff area. If you have a brake failure or something, things could go very bad very, very quickly. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder of the fact that this is, these drivers are taking on risk to do this. It's not a, um, you know, like all high level, high speed type things, these drivers take on risks every time they get in the car. And it's more than just. Yeah, driving around in a go-kart. <laughs> there are serious consequences to errors and mistakes, which is heavy, but it is something that they choose to do and for their and our benefit. And it's something incredibly that this sport hasn't seen much recently. Like the most recent death was Jules Bianchi in the 2014 season. Um, he ended up dying almost a year later. Um, he, you know, went off and hit a truck that was not a truck like a a tractor. tractor basically that was lifting another car off of the track that had crashed crashed in the exact same spot and his head hit the the metal of the tractor the steel of it um his head took an impact of 254 g's or something in that realm um and you know he was in a medical coma for months and months and months and then passed away so but but the sport hasn't seen before him the last deaths were in the 90s yeah last big death um was Ayrton yeah. in 1994 at Imola. Um, and mm-hmm. that one was, they actually, it was kind of interesting when they analyzed his body after he passed away. He didn't have any broken bones, any internal bleeding. It just, the tire hit his head just in the right way. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the main reasons, including, and then Jules wreck, wh- why we have the halo yeah. nowadays. They um, have been pushing back against the idea of a halo for ages and ages or something like that. Um, after Ayrton's death and everything, but then once Jules' death hit, it was like, you know, this is 2015. Like, we can't have accidents like this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's why you've seen the cars get heavier and heavier over time. It is for safety, and so, you know, they don't, they're not as throwable into the corners. They look a little clunkier um, just out on track going through corners than they might used to have, but they are safer by a lot. Yeah, safety regulations have gotten a lot better. There's still a dangerous sport, but it's a lot safer than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so it's unfortunate. And, again, I don't really like the idea of Jetta. And I told some, you know, Facebook warrior down in his mom's basement, yes, it's entertainment. But I don't like people dying for my entertainment. Yeah. It's, we're not living in the Roman times. Yeah, we, we don't go to the <laughs> – We're not barbarians. Yeah. We don't go watch the – the person get eaten by the bear on the Friday night. Like that's not what we do anymore. We are Americans, but we don't. We still don't like that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we've seen the we've seen the benefits of the halo multiple times, especially yeah. with the Roman Grosjean crash. I don't think there was any way he would have survived that. Absolutely if, not without the halo. And you, there's you, a few times our cars have jumped up on top of other ones, and the wheel would have hit someone. Charles Leclerc, like he would have been very seriously injured his first year. When Lewis he was last year. Lewis he got last a, year. He got yeah. a wheel mark on his helmet. Yeah. Had that. I, Halo been there to brush most of that weight away, that would have landed directly on his head and compressed far more than it did, and that would have very well could have been 
you know, a serious injury, a serious injury or, or death. Yeah. Which we're glad it wasn't. Yeah. We're glad that these safety regulations are in play, but this is heavy and we're probably need to wrap up our race preview. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was just about to say the same thing. Let's, let's talk about predictions for the race. Um, real quick, just rapid fire, um, pole position winner, and then the number of safety cars and or red flags. A hundred, no. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I think Leclerc gets another hat trick. He gets pole, oh. win, fastest lap. Wow. I think that that car is just really good, and I think the other ones will catch up, but I don't think they catch up this week. I think as far as safety car incidents, I think, I don't know, I'll say eight. Why not? Wow. Safety car slash red flags. What? <laughs> <laughs> we're, going, we're going all in. <laughs> this race will last four and a half hours. Yeah. Gotta, that race has got to get done at some point. I got work that I got to go to before. Well, uh, after. You, you have to sit through all eight. <laughs> I, uh, are we counting, like, if, if it's a yellow... Uh, you made these. Why are you asking us for the technicals? <laughs> if it's a safety car first and then they go as a red flag, does that count as one or two? It's two. Okay. Okay, fair enough. I'm doing that because I, I may have flown too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have my predictions. Um, Max Verstappen pole, uh, Carlos Sainz win. Um, and then I think there's going to be four. No, five. Safety car or and or red flags incidents through the race. So my prediction is I think we're going to see Leclerc uh, get pole again. Uh, I think Leclerc win as well. Uh, assuming Red Bulls fix their fuel pump issues, I think Verstappen will be second, and then either Sainz or Perez third. And then I think there will be four safety cars slash red flags. Wait, did you say a hat trick for Charles? Uh, no. Or Who's your fastest lap? Oh, fastest lap is... Uh, I got everything Brandon's got except Charles Hattrick, but I think four. So so Charles will have pole position on qualifying on Saturday. I think he'll get the race win, and I think he will have the fastest lap. Um, and then, yeah, I think there will be four safety cars plus red flags. Y'all are going to look silly when three cars make it to the finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when there's <laughs> seven DNFs Nico, in the first lap. Nico Hulkenberg gets his first F1. There, there could be three cars still in the race, and Nico Hulkenberg would finish fourth. <laughs> he, he is just that. And those two other cars would be <laughs> two Williams and his teammate. <laughs> yeah. That's why I have Carlos Sainz winning is because I think there's a fair chance Leclerc and Verstappen tangle at some point. Whether or not they have An to... An incident an incident whether or not they retire is i'm not gonna predict but i think it will drop both of them back at least far enough to where carlos can get that maiden win in red bull still hasn't figured out their power engine and max accidentally throws it reverse <laughs> <laughs> on the start can you imagine crofty just goes lights out and away we go and then he just starts going backwards Alrighty, well, we have had enough tomfoolery that we have had to cut out. We're going to go ahead and end the episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. Go follow us on Instagram at SlipstreamF1Cast. Um, go follow us. Send us a DM if you enjoyed it or hated it. Rate it if you liked it. Um, share with your friends. <laughs> Don't rate it if you didn't like it. If you yeah. didn't like it, we just would rather you DM us your hate so we can think about that as we go to sleep every night and 
be sad. And American listeners, we didn't forget about you. I know that we've been pampering our European listeners, but we we love and value you. Yes, American listeners, aka all of our friends. All listeners. Yeah, it's just our friends. <laughs> it's just our friends. It's literally just our friends well, listening to this. We have our one friend from UK that's listening. There's two UK listeners. I don't know if she wants me to give now. her a shout out, but <laughs> she's there. <laughs> we've made some friends in, in 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 Europe, and so we thank them for listening. And follow our page. Yeah, and all of our friends who are listening. You're all our friends, whether we know you or not. Everyone Aww. listening. We want to be friends with you. So DM us on Instagram. We don't bite. Did, did we say our tag on Instagram? Yeah. Slipstream F1 cast. Yeah, that. Our outro shouldn't be a minute and a half long all the time, but it always is. But yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you after the race for a race rundown. Um, Review. Slash chaos. Just debrief as we're all trying to understand what happened, whether it's... Uh, crashes or, or missiles we'll be here to talk about it with you toodles bye bye see y'all hipstream test fun spot best <laughs> i never did fastest lap so my guess is another missile <laughs> we're gonna get canceled <laughs> <laughs>